God faithfully during the strong leadership of their judges. But when the judge would die, God's people would abandon God. They would disobey God's law and they would begin worshiping the false gods that lived in the land. Of course, when this happened, God wasn't going to have no part of that. Amen? He will have no part of that. And he would basically send his judgment by allowing Israel to become slaves to their enemies. When God's people would grow weary of that slavery, they would recognize it, they would repent of their sins, and they would begin to cry out to God. Crying out to God, and then he would raise up a deliverer, a judge, whom God would use to defeat Israel's enemies and then set them free to serve God once again. The same pattern follows the leadership of the judge that we're going to study today. The second judge of Israel is a judge whose name was Ahud. Everybody say Ahud. Ahud. You know who I'm talking about. Now, you may remember last week, the first judge in Israel, his name was Othniel. And Othniel delivered God's people from that doubly wicked pagan king after eight years of slavery. This time, when God's people sinned, what would happen is the Lord allowed another king, another king named Eglon. Eglon was the king of Moab, and God allowed Eglon to invade Israel and enslave God's people. But get this, this time it was for 18 years. Are you seeing a pattern? But again, when God's people repented and they cried out to God, God raised up this deliverer, Ahud, who actually assassinated the king of Moab, assassinated King Eglon, and then led God's people to freedom. Now, this story has a whole lot to teach me and you if we will let it. Amen. You see, we, like the church, we, as the church, like Israel, often follow this same predictable pattern. We disobey God. We get disciplined by God. Then we repent to God, where ultimately we are restored by God. You see, our problem here as the church, as God's people today, is not the Moabite. Our problem is not the Ammonite, it's not the Amalekite, it's not the Canaanite, it's not the Parasite. Our problem is not even the Gravesite or the Website. Our problem is the flesh that we live in. And today, we're going to see Israel's enemy, King Eglon, is the perfect picture of the flesh that you and I live in. Eglon is out of control. Eglon is self-indulgent. He's a vile, lazy, 
evil glutton. He's full of pride, but listen to this. Ultimately, he gets assassinated by Ahud, just like the flesh. Amen. See, every one of us here today, every one of us listening on Facebook and YouTube is in an all-out war with the flesh that we live in. Sometimes we win the battle. Sometimes we lose the battle. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we don't even fight the battle. So the message of this account of the second judge of Israel gives us some help. It gives us some help to learn how we can fight and win this battle we wage day in and day out with the flesh. In this description of Israel's victory, we're going to see that as they won the war, we too can win the war against the flesh. So as we walk through today's message, verse by verse, my prayer for you today is, is that you glean some tools that you can use to fight and to win your personal battle against sin and against the flesh that you live in. To begin with, in Judges chapter 3, that begins on page 219 in the Bibles in front of you. Don't take my word for this, okay, y'all? Go to page 219 to Judges chapter 3 and follow along with me so you can see it as God has revealed it to me. The first thing we need to see is, is that God's people have a dilemma. We all have a dilemma. And in Judges chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, the scriptures say, And the children of Israel again, say again, The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so what did God do? So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, against his people. Why? Because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 13, Then he, Eglon, gathered to himself the people of Ammon and the people of Amalek and went and defeated Israel defeated God's people. And they took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 long years. Now friends, these verses describe the terrible price that we pay when we make the choice to walk away from God the God who has redeemed us by the blood of His Son to do what's right in our own eyes, to do what we think is right. The first thing that we need to recognize here in this dilemma is that part of our dilemma is a common foe that we all have. We all have this common foe of the flesh. Now, Israel faced three nations. 
Three nations they faced because of their rebellion to God. You see, the Ammonites and the Amalekites had actually joined forces with these Moabites. And all three of these nations worshipped the false gods of the land. And their worship included, listen y'all, vile sexual practices. Their worship included child sacrifice. All three nations had been and would continue to cause major problems for God's people by attacking them, by hindering them, and by trying to enslave them in the land that they lived. And just like Israel was repeatedly attacked by these nations, believers, the redeemed of Jesus Christ, are also repeatedly, continually attacked by the flesh that we live in. You see, our flesh has its own desires. Our flesh doesn't like being told what to do. Our flesh does not like the way of holiness. It does not like the way of righteousness. No, the flesh that we live in likes the way of evil. It likes the way of Satan. This flesh that we live in is a formidable foe, y'all. It's a formidable foe. This flesh that we live in hates God. This flesh hates everything that God stands for. And this flesh that we live in will do everything in its power to enslave you, to put you in bondage, and prevent you from reaching your true potential in Jesus. That's what the flesh will do for you. So, we have this foe, a common foe of the flesh. But you know, another dilemma is, another common dilemma that we all have is this fight. This fight against the flesh. As these three nations joined forces and came against God's people, we're told that they defeated Israel. You see, the tense of that word, defeated, implies that day after miserable day, they were constantly in battle as God's enemies came knocking on their door to try and defeat them. There were some of the skirmishes that they won. But there were other battles that they just lifted up their hands and simply surrendered to the enemy of God. Does that sound familiar to you? That's the same thing we do to the flesh. Every day we wake up to the same battle and every day that battle is just as serious and it's just as frequent. And we all have that common foe. Now, we all have different areas that we battle. We have different areas that we fight. But if you're saved, if you're a born-again child of God, you are going to wake up to a war. Each and every day, you're going to wake up to this war, and sometimes you're going to win, and sometimes you're going to lose. And who wins is determined by who you yield to. Are you going to yield to the Spirit of God or to the flesh that you live in? 
Paul said in Romans 6, 16, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, that you're that one slave? Whether of sin leading to death or obedience that leads to righteousness? See, we're in an all-out war. Every day, every morning your feet hit the floor, you're entering the battlefield. Day in and day out, you and I need to be praying our hearts out. Day in and day out, we need to be using God's word to help us to take a stand against sin and against the fleshly desires that we live in. This foe is formidable. And the fights, they are frequent. But another common dilemma is, is that we all fail. We all fail in the flesh. King Eglon had established headquarters in what the Bible said was the City of Palms. Now, I didn't know what the City of Palms was, but I learned that the City of Palms is another name for the City of Jericho. You may remember the story of Jericho. Jericho was the first city that was conquered when God's people came into the promised land and Joshua led them around that city seven times and after the seventh time, they blew their trumpets and they hollered out loud and the walls of Jericho fell down. Amen. They conquered their enemy, the very first enemy of the promised land. So when God's people saw their enemies setting up headquarters in the very place where they had their first military and spiritual victory, man, that had to be hard to swallow, y'all. I mean, they took over Jericho. Such is the power of the flesh. Just when you think you got victory over an area in your life, just when you think that that area is settled once and for all, all of a sudden, the flesh comes back and tries to take back what it lost. In an instant, y'all, if we let our guard down, we can lose the battle. In an instant, if we fail to pray, we can lose the battle. In an instant, if we fail to apply the word of God, we can lose the battle. If for an instant we fail to avoid temptation, we can lose the battle. The life of the man or woman of God ain't easy. It's a challenge. But if we fail to do these things, we will lose the battle. So we have a formidable foe in which we have frequent fights and we're constantly failing in the flesh. But there's another common dilemma that we have and that is if we're honest with one another, we're all fools. We're foolish when it comes to the flesh. Here, God's people refused to serve God so they could go and be a slave to Eglon. That makes no sense to me. The word served in verse 14 literally means to become a slave. Two. So rather than choose to be with God, they chose to be a slave. God's people foolishly 
chose slavery to the enemy over obedience to the one who redeemed them. And listen, their bondage lasted 18 years. That's a long time. 18 years of bondage because they made the wrong choice. That illustrates graphically the power of the flesh we live in. Think about it. When we submit to the flesh, what are we doing? We're choosing slavery over God. When we submit to the flesh, we're choosing distance from God who saved us. When we yield to the desires of the flesh, what are we doing? We are choosing to work for the world rather than work for the kingdom of heaven. When we surrender to the flesh, just throw our hands up, give up. We're choosing to serve self rather than to serve the Savior's will. That's our dilemma. But like Israel, get this, y'all. The choice is ours. It's our choice who we're going to serve. It's our choice who we're going to be a slave to. Is it going to be the flesh or the spirit of God? Yeah, this dilemma is serious. But I'm thankful that God saw us in our dilemma and recognized that God's people need a deliverer. They need a deliverer. Back to our scriptures in verse 15. But when the children of God cried out to the Lord... The Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ahud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, who was a left-handed man. How many left-handed lefties we got here? Any lefties? All right. Me and Chuck. Who's that? Silas. Me, Chuck, and Silas are the only lefties here. Okay. God raised up a deliverer, Ahud, son of Gera, Benjamite, left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, Ahud... Get this, y'all. Ahud made himself a dagger. Now, I attempted to make a dagger this morning. Amen. But I wanted to get you guys to have a, a visual of what this dagger looked like, okay? So Ahud made himself a dagger, a double-edged dagger that was a cubit in length. Now, a cubit is the length from your fingertip to your elbow, about 18 inches. So you see that the blade is 18 inches long. Let's keep going. And he fastened this dagger to his right thigh. Right? Because he was left-handed. And so he brought the tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal, and he said, I've got a secret message for you, O king. And so the king said, keep silence, and all who attended him went out from him. And so Ahud came up to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ahud said, I got a message from God for you. I got a message from God for you. And so Eglon arose from his seat. Then Ahud 
reached with his left hand and he took the dagger from his right thigh and he thrust it into the belly of King Eglon. And the Bible says that the fat closed over the blade and he did not draw out the dagger from his belly and his entrails. His guts spilled everywhere. Wow. And then Ahud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. And when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look. And to their surprise, the doors to the upper room were locked. And they said, he's probably in there attending to his needs in the cool of the chamber. And so they waited until they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore they took the key and opened them, and there was their master, falling dead on the floor. But Ahud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sierra. God's people needed a deliverer. God provided a deliverer. You see, when God's people got sick and tired of being in bondage to the enemy, being in bondage to the flesh, they cried out to God. They cried out to the Lord, and he then began the process of bringing them back to himself. Now, that's a big lesson for me and you today. Because if you're looking to restore your fellowship with God, if you're looking to get right with God, the number one step is it's got to begin with repentance. You've got to turn from sin, turn from self, and turn to God. Now, after Israel repented, God used Ahab or Ahud, Israel's second judge, to deliver them. Bella, come up here and give me a hand, sister. But Ahud had a problem. Amen? This is my little Ahud right here. Amen? Are you left-handed? You're not? You're, you're left-handed today, okay? Left-handed. It won't even fit on your thigh. Amen? You just, you just hang tight for me, okay? Here's Ahud's problem. Ahud was left-handed. Now, that doesn't mean that he only used his left hand. Uh, although I'm left-handed, the only thing I do left-handed is eating right. It's always got to be about eating, don't it? Eating right. It's the only thing I do left-handed. Everything else I do right-handed. Now, what this literally means in the Bible is that he was bound in his right hand. He was bound. Ahud's right hand was crippled in some way, and therefore he was forced to use his left hand. <laughs> She's thrilled, amen. All right? But here's the good news. Ahud took his liability and he turned it in to an asset. Let me say right here something that we all know. We all have our own problems. We all have our own problems. Think about it. Moses was tongue-tied. David was young. Peter was hard-headed. The church hated Paul, right? We all have some issue that hinders us from serving God like we think we ought to serve God. But I got one question for you. I got one question for you, and that is, did God know about your issues before he saved you? Of course he did. 
Of course he did. But he saved you anyway. God didn't save you to worry about what you couldn't do. God saved you in order to enable you to do what only he can do. So we need to stop making excuses. We need to stop making excuses about why we can't do this and why we can't do that. Amen? And we need to get busy doing something for the glory of God. Can I get an amen? Ahud had this problem, but he turned his problem into an asset. Now let's look at the plan that Ahud begins to formulate. See, every so often, Israel was required to take this tribute, to take some money to the king of Moab. King Eglon is kind of like a tax, if you will. And so Ahud prepared to send this gift to King Eglon, and Ahud made himself a double-edged knife, and it was 18 inches long. And he strapped it to his right thigh. <laughs> That's as long as your right thigh, amen. And then he took this tribute money to the king. Ahud was formulating a plan. And that plan was to assassinate the king. He was going to assassinate God's enemy once and for all. By the way, can I tell you right now that the flesh knows that you're crippled? The flesh knows that you lack the power to overcome it on your own? Can I tell you that the flesh thinks that you're weak? That the flesh thinks that it can control you? That the flesh thinks that it can rule your life? And can I tell you that the flesh is right? It can certainly do those things, but, but, there's some things that the flesh forgets. For instance, the flesh forgets that as believers, the Spirit of God resides in us. The flesh forgets that we are saved from sin and that you and I don't have to sin. We choose to sometimes, but we don't have to. The flesh forgets that you and I have been delivered from its power and we can walk in victory to the glory of God. So after the, delivering this money to King Eglon, Ahab told him, I got a secret message for you. So the king, supposedly, that he, supposing that he was going to hear some great secret, clears the room so that they can be alone. Can I tell you, even that was part of Ahud's plan. And so now Ahud begins to execute his plot. When Ahud is alone with King Eglon, he tells him, I got a message from God for you. What do you think it is? Mm-hmm. So Eglon stood up to hear this message, and then Ahud reached into his right thigh, and he took this dagger, and he ran it into his body, and through his body, and then he let it go and let it stay in there. And the Bible says that his guts came out everywhere. Pretty gross, isn't it? Go ahead, have a seat. 
He didn't even pull out the knife. And we find that Eglon is D-E-A-D. Immediately, Ehud locks the doors to the rooftop where they were, and he makes his escape. After no doubt hearing the commotion, Eglin's servants come, and they find the doors locked. And they smell an odor, a nasty odor. And the odor is from the king's guts being spilled out all over the floor. And so they're convinced that the king is on the throne, so to speak. Can we be gross for a second? And so they wait as long as they can, and then in their embarrassment, they retrieve a key into the chamber, and they find the king dead as a doornail laying on the floor. Now, I realize that that's probably more than you wanted to hear on a Sunday morning sermon. Amen? But in those details, why those details are kind of gross, they perfectly illustrate the nature of the fight you and I are in. This battle is a nasty battle against the flesh. And if you're going to have victory, you're going to have to put up a fight. If you're going to have victory over the flesh, you've got to go to battle with it. And the battle is not for the squeamish. But it's necessary if you're going to enjoy victory. You know, this is the same picture that Jesus painted one day. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus said it this way. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands and go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. You don't stop there. Jesus says, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet and be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He doesn't stop there. He says, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into the hellfire where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. Was Jesus saying, cut off your hand? Was he saying, cut off your foot? Was he saying, pluck out your eye? No. Here's what he was saying. He said, nothing is too great in your battle against sin. There is no price that's too high when you're waging war against the flesh. So we got to take whatever steps are necessary. Do whatever we got to do in order to defeat the flesh. God's people had this dilemma, this dilemma against their flesh, but God recognized that they needed a deliverer. And of course, we know that our deliverer is Jesus. But that led me to ask one question. I'm not in heaven yet. So how am I delivered from the flesh now? How am I delivered from the flesh in the here and the now? Let's go back to Judges chapter 3 and verse 27. 
But the Bible says, and it happened when he arrived, when Ehud arrived, that Ehud blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him. Y'all hear me? He went, they went down with him from the mountains, and he led them. Then he said to them, follow me. For the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And so they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed about 10,000 men of Moab. All of them, stout man, men of valor. And not a man escaped. And so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest. For 80 years. 80 years. So what do I have to do in order to be delivered from the flesh that I live in? Well, first of all, I need to learn to follow. I need to learn to follow the one that God has provided. For me, it's Jesus Christ. For the Israel's nation, when Ehud returned from killing King Ehud or King Eglon, he sounded the trumpet to call God's people to take a stand. To take a stand for God and follow him into the fight. Friend, I pray that you, you see that's what I'm trying to do this morning. I'm trying to lead us all to take a stand and put up a fight. God heard Israel's cry and he raised up this deliverer, Ahud. Ahud had taken the first step. He put his life on the line. He went and got victory over the enemy. How did he do it? He basically cut off the enemy's head. But then it was up to the nation. It was up to those who followed him to destroy the body, to destroy the flesh. The test now was to see, is he really going to follow? Are they really going to follow him or not? Are they going to follow the deliverer that God has provided? Are you following the deliverer that God has provided? Are you following Jesus today? They did. And the Bible says that they achieved a great victory. We have to follow. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said this when, when he had called up the people to himself and his disciples also. So this is for the lost and the saved. And he said to them, whoever denies or desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny the flesh. Take up his cross, crucify the flesh, and follow me. we got to follow, y'all. And then in verse 35 it says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What does that mean? Not only do we have to follow, but we got to put up a fight. We have to put up a fight. Israel had cut off every avenue of escape. And then they killed about 10,000 enemy men. And the men that they killed, they weren't newbies. Amen? They weren't rookies. They weren't novices. They weren't new recruits. The Bible says that they were all stout men of valor. Big, burly brave soldiers but regardless of their power and regardless of their military might they are all soundly defeated because God gave his people victory how are we delivered from our bondage to the flesh 
You've got to follow God's lead in Jesus Christ. But we also have to stand and put up a fight. But there's one last thing that we need to do. If we're going to win this victory against the flesh, we have to finish. Verse 29 says, not a man escaped. That means they wiped out the whole army. God's people enjoyed total victory because they wiped out all, all, every trace of the enemy. That's what you and I need to do in our lives. Wipe out every trace of the flesh, of the fleshly desires. God gives us everything we need. In fact, the Bible says in, in 2 Peter that his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, Jesus, who's called us by glory and virtue. God's given us his word. God's given us his spirit. God's given us prayer. And God has given us his presence day in and day out. If we'll just humbly and faithfully follow him, he can and he will keep us from submitting to the flesh. But if you fail, friend, if you fail to follow Jesus, if you fail to put up a fight, if you fail to finish the flesh off once and for all, if you fail to follow the will of God, you can never have victory. Now, I know we all have problems with the flesh. In one form or fashion, we all are fighting the same war. The flesh is overindulged, the flesh is self-assured, and the flesh is out of control. Just look around. Just look at our nation. So, as Christians, as God's people, we need to take the battle to the flesh. We need to put up a fight. Because nowhere is it written that the flesh must win. Nowhere in the Bible is it written that you must sin. No. God wants you to have victory. And we're a lot like Ahud. I mean, you know, we're, we're unlikely conquerors. We're all crippled in some way or another. We're all weak. And we're all prone to spiritual failure. But like Ahud, we can walk in victory, y'all. We can. We just need to take our sword. Look here. We need to take our sword, the word of God. And with it, assassinate the enemy, assassinate the flesh in a sneak attack. We can have this victory. Friend, you don't have to be a victim. You don't have to be a victim of the flesh. No, in fact, you can be a victor over the flesh. Now, in a message like this, that basically speaks to each and every one of us, and each and every one of us listening, the Lord's probably touched on an area of our lives. He's gotten your attention somehow or another because you know the challenges you have with the flesh. I want to tell you that if you're wanting to be obedient to the Word of God, the place you can get the help to do that is right here at this altar. The place you can get 
the help you need is right during this decision time to where you say, I'm not leaving here until I get this right. I'm not leaving here until I start taking a stand and taking the fight to the flesh. This is where we can find the help that we need. This is where we can begin the battle. This is where we can begin to formulate our plans for the assassination of our enemy, the flesh. Who here this morning would, would pray for us today? Pray that we would have victory. Miss Janet, come on up here, sweetheart. You got me off guard. Janet's going to pray here in a moment that we're going to have victory over the flesh and also victory as a church over the flesh. Amen? Sweetie, after you pray, then I'll just I'll close this, okay? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I just pray for our country, Lord, our nation. We've turned our back on you, Lord. We've our nation is, um, Lord. We've put up idols. We are the church has put up idols, and I repent as a person, and I repent as a nation, Lord. We need to repent as a nation. We. We need to um, turn back to you, Lord, and um, I pray that we do that, Lord. I, I pray as a church that we do that. We've put up idols. We've sacrificed our children through abortion. We've put up idols of materialist, materialism and idols of, um, of pleasures of this world, and I pray that we turn back to you, Father, because the time is short. Lord Jesus, through this message, we, we see the church as being disciplined just like Israel. And I pray that the church, because you love us, we know that you are disciplining us just like you did Israel. And I pray the church, because you're coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle, and we love you for that, that you are going to discipline us and you're going to start in the church, and I pray that the body of Christ all over this nation hears that correction, and it begins in the body of Christ. Lord, just correct us and help us send revival today to the to the church, and it begins with us before the a loss can can know it. It has to come to the church to the body of Christ. Lord, I pray for our nation again, our leaders, our governors, our president, our, and, and our vice president. Lord, open their eyes. I pray that they would find you if they don't know you. I pray for a revival to come to our nation, to our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God.